Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Good to see you. Yeah, you don't want to miss this. couple really uh, great things coming up. Remember, next weekend is when we have Joe Sangle here as our guest speaker. Uh, he is a financial expert. His specialty is in helping specifically believers uh, live their best financial life and have the greatest level of success. Uh, I asked this question last week. How many of you want to be poor? Just that's your life goal. Broke is a joke. Just one, just one, one taker right there. Well, you're married, so congratulations. She has all the money. That's how it works. But all of us as individuals, uh, we want to do well in our lives, right? And anybody want your kids to do well in their lives? So this gentleman, Joe Sangle, coming in, he's a financial expert. It's what he does. He works with John Maxwell. John Maxwell is the number one leader, uh, leadership uh, speaker in the world. Um, and Joe Sangle is his number one speaker and trainer on finances. And he's going to be with us. He's a really big deal. Not only is he doing a special thing for some of our financial leaders on Saturday um, that are coaches uh, and work in the financial industry so that we can do some things to help our congregation at a higher level, but on Sunday after service, uh, we're going to provide some food. Anybody that wants to sign up for what he calls his financial learning experience, it's a two-hour seminar. He's going to help you outside or after service on Sunday as well, so you can come to that and just want to make sure you know about that. But on the Thanksgiving after Sunday, this is really special. Um, I actually have another guest friend of mine coming, Richie Mullis, one of my oldest friends in youth ministry. Um, I, I met him about the same time I met uh, Adam. He's got a fantastic church in Forney. He's going to come over and be with us, uh, and he's an incredible speaker. But we're going to do a really special service on Thanksgiving, uh, the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We're going to have actually, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've got to see yet. If you haven't gone into our kids' space. Um, our playground is up. We have a playground that we put up. It was installed this last week. It opens today, grand opening. You got to go see it. If I mean, Chuck E. Cheese has nothing on Oaks Church is all I'm saying. Uh, we don't have a creepy mouse that might, you know, uh, you know grab kids or anything uh, back there. But, but we, we've, we've got an unbelievable new addition in our kids' ministry that you want to see. So lots of amazing stuff going on. But we're going to have a family service on the 27th. We're going to have one service, 10 o'clock. We're going to bring everybody in. And at the end into that service, we're literally going to pray for every single family as a family. We're going to anoint families with oil. Um, we're probably going to do communion together as families as well. It's going to be a really special day. I know a lot of people are traveling. If you're traveling that day, that's wonderful. You can stream in with us. Uh, but if you're with us live, we want to make it really special for our families that are with us live. You may have family that's here from out of town, and it's going to be a special opportunity for your family to be prayed for with you as a family. So come and be a part and join with us. It's a uh, something special we're doing for our Heart for the House series that we're in right now. I hope you've been enjoying it. We just kicked it off last week. Uh, today's our second Heart for the House uh, message, and we're going to jump right into this in just a second. Let's pray first. Father, I ask you that you would speak to us today. Release your word to us. Father, release your wisdom to us. God, we're not here just to learn the ideas of a human. Father, we're here so that we can learn from your voice. Jesus, speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, most of us, if you're, uh, most of us, family is very important. Uh, certain cultures, family is everything. 
to me, family is a, is a very important thing. My wife, my daughters, my parents, my siblings, uh, very, very important thing to me. My kids' futures, very important thing to me. Uh, so important that we're, I'm now in the season of college touring. I don't know if you've had that experience. Uh, pretty exciting, a little bit scary. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, your, your kids are being released to the wolves, so to speak, on different campuses, trying to find the right place uh, for them. But, but it's an investment you make into your kids' future. It's an investment that you make, your kids' hobbies, the things they want to do, the, the house that you build, the home that you create for your family. It's important to us as humans. Can I tell you it's important to God? Family, home is important to God. The house of God, God's family is important to God. Last week we talked about how the house of God is not about a building. The house of God, the church, is a called out group of people, but it is important for every family to have a home. We, we, we own this building, we have a home, that's a wonderful thing. But the building is not actually the church. We together, connected together, in unity together are the church. Did you know that you're not the church alone, all by yourself? The Bible calls us living stones. If, if, if we're not together, and this is a dangerous thing, there's a, a massive movement in our world today. It's been going on for the last maybe 20 years, and it's an anti-church movement, and it's all about just being at home alone and just being with your little family or your little group, and it's a very much an anti-church movement. It was initiated by people that were hurt by big church, but Jesus created a big church. And Jesus' church grew exponentially. Its first weekend, it went to thousands of people and never went back. There were mega churches in, in, in Paul's day. The church in Ephesus that Timothy oversaw was said to be about 10,000 members in that church. Jesus loves church. Jesus died for a church. It's not about a building. It's about people united together. And we're not the church if we're isolated alone. You're just a stone. You could be a living stone, but you're just one stone. Only together, united, linked together, do we build a beautiful edifice for God that we are his people, we are his temple. He lives inside of us, amen? Last week we talked about Jesus' zeal and passion for the house, that his passion for the house consumed him. He was all about the Father, all about the Father's house, and all about the Father's kids. It was about priorities, making a priority around the house of God. Today, we're gonna journey into the life of David. We'll look at the life of Jesus a little bit. We're gonna look at the lineage of Jesus, and we're gonna talk about a city in Israel, just outside of Jerusalem, a city called Bethlehem. Bethlehem. You, when I say that word, you probably think of maybe a manger. You think of shepherds. We're coming into the Christmas season. You're going to hear a lot about Bethlehem. Most of us know that that's where Jesus, the Messiah, was born. There was actually a prophecy from the prophet Micah in the Old Testament that said that, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, I'm sorry, I'm reading out of you. This is, this is from Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, a prophecy from Micah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem is the birthplace of Jesus, but Bethlehem comes from two words, bet and lehem. Bet means house, a house. So Bethel 
means house and El means God. Where Jacob, when he was running from his brother Esau, laid his head down on a stone and had a vision of a ladder going up to heaven. He called that place Bethel, house of God. But Bethlehem is another picture of God's house. Bethlehem means house of bread. House of bread. House of bread. I, I don't know about you. I, this whole place down here smells like Panera bread. I mean, I'm literally so hungry. They've got some kind of crazy herb cheddar bread. I mean, this is unreal up here. And if you, this week I wore a shirt my friend Robin made for me. It's just a giant heart and it says gluten. If it's got gluten, I'm in, right? I, I mean, I, I'm sad for people that, that have the, you know, the allergy thing, and I'm not trying to be insensitive, but I love gluten, man. I'm all about it. Fluff it up. You know, I mean, that's, 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 that just makes me happy. This, I mean, I just want to touch all of it, and, and it's this, I love brown bread. Oh, my God, brown bread, right? It's like a pumpernickel. I don't know. It's got little oats on it and stuff. This stuff just makes me so happy. Bread makes me happy. God's house. It's a house of bread. It's a house that's supposed to be filled with happiness. Bread makes us think when, when you go to a good restaurant, the very first thing you're like, do they have bread? Right? Can we get some bread out? Can we get some butter out? Man, they, they, these guys, man, we got flat bread. We got all kinds of ethnic bread going on here. We got some, some Jewish stuff happening. We, we got all kinds of, this is beautiful. I love this. There's a couple kind of restaurants that I do like that don't have bread. Mexican and any Asian. I'll eat Asian food three, four times a day. But, but besides that, I want to go somewhere where I can have bread. Bread represents satisfaction. Bread represents sustainability. If all you have is bread and water, you can survive. Bread is actually called a superfood. Because, and you can see some of these, there's, there's, there's all kinds of seeds. And this thing weighs like two pounds, this tiny little thing. It's so dense. It's got seeds all over it. It's a superfood. It's a super carb. They take, it takes to make a, a loaf of bread, it takes three foot by three foot, nine foot square of wheat to make one loaf of bread. All of that grain, all of those carbs compacted down into something so wonderful that will make you fat. You know, the Bible talks about fatness different than we talk about fatness. The, the Bible almost makes fatness a good thing. In, in, in old world cultures, the fatter you were, the richer you were. If you were skinny, you were a slave. You were owned by somebody. You're having to do all the work in the old world, the old days. Someone said, oh, I'm in shape, because round is a shape. <laughs> right? You don't have to be a triangle. You can be in shape roundly. But I've been to Bethlehem, the house of bread. Bethlehem is part of what, what you would call the heartland around Jerusalem. Bethlehem is God's house, a house of bread. But it was literally a supply house. You remember in Jesus' day, there was an inn there. When, when, when Mary and Joseph had to go to the census, they tried to stay at the inn, but there was no room. So they stayed in a manger. The mangers, when we were in, I've been to Bethlehem twice now. 
It's this beautiful rolling hill country. Kind of looks like the Shire, if you've seen the Hobbit movies, the Lord of the Rings. It's these rolling, gorgeous green hills, shepherds all over the place. Uh, it's a very rocky terrain, so they have these rock clefts, and, and the shepherds would go underneath, and, and they would hide their sheep into these little uh, gates, and, and they would build, so like, a, like a, the inn would have underneath it a place that was like a cave that you would come into, and they literally, there are families still today, the, the Palestinian uh, Israelis, uh, many, and many, many Palestinian Christians live there, but Bethlehem now is separated, it's under Palestinian control, so it's all part of the land of, or the nation of Israel, but there are segments of Israel that are controlled by the Jews, and there are segments of Israel, Israel that are controlled by the Palestinians, and there's a wall that runs between those areas. We have a lot of controversy in our nation around a wall. Israel doesn't have the luxury of having controversy around a wall. It's a way that they stay alive. And it was interesting when we were there because the wall is like 30 foot tall and feet thick and razor wire and we're on the tour bus and we want to go into Bethlehem and have this traditional experience. But our Israeli or Jewish guide is not allowed to go into Bethlehem. He had to stay off. He had to get off the bus and wait. And a Palestinian guide would come on and they would recheck all of our passports and we would go in. The Palestinian guide could not come into Israel or come into the Jewish controlled areas. And the Jewish could not go into the Palestinian controlled areas. And so you have people that live in a region separated. And I'm talking about the difference between uh, McKinney and Allen. The, the difference between Plano and Richardson. I mean, this little, it's all up against each other but a wall that separates and their entire lives can't go across that wall. So Bethlehem represents a place of division, a place where there's supposed to be bread, supposed to be joy, supposed to be happiness, supposed to be fulfillment, but oftentimes a place of separation and division. Interesting that Bethlehem is a picture and a type of the house of God. So many ways to get offended at church. I'll talk about one of them today. I'll give lots of people an opportunity to get offended. If you're looking to get offended, today's your day. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not talking about politics. God's house is a house of bread. Bethlehem was a special place. Bethlehem, the first uh, reference that we see is uh, J Jacob, when his wife Rachel died, she was buried in a place, and it was called Bethlehem. L later on, uh, Ruth would come back to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and would fall in love and, and marry a man named Boaz, and that was in Bethlehem. Ruth and Boaz would make a baby named Obed. That would be David's grandfather. That was in Bethlehem. David would be born. A shepherd boy on the hills. That was Bethlehem. When, when David got the inspiration for the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, he leads me beside green pastures. He lays me down near still waters. That's, that's Bethlehem. It's his imagery from his childhood growing up in Bethlehem, rolling hills, the stream going through the valley, just beautiful, picturesque, 
a house of bread, a place of peace, a place of sustenance, a place of joy, a place that's fat. It was the bread basket, similar to what we see right now and why there's such a conflict over this little bitty nation in the middle of uh, Eurasia over there called Ukraine. Ukraine is a bread basket. It provides food for all of the different nations all across Europe. And so it's a very desired area. That's what Bethlehem was. And it was Jesus' home. It's a picture of the church. God's house is to be a house of bread. I want to take you to a passage. Uh, the passage I'm going to read to you today is from a book in the Bible. It's actually the last book in the Old Testament. It, it's, it's a very challenging book because it's a book that some theologians believe was written as a letter of divorce to the nation of Israel. It's the book of, of Malachi. Malachi, chapter after chapter after chapter, God is, God is calling out the sins of Israel against his house. The sins of Israel breaking his commands. And, and he talks about a number of different issues. And then, and then God shuts up and does not speak again for 400 years until we see the prophecies being fulfilled with John the Baptist and Jesus. If you've ever had silent treatment, you've never had 400 years of silent treatment. God did not speak to his people, no recorded scriptures, no voice of God, 400 years. So this is the book we should take very seriously because the number one most important thing in my life is that I have communion with the Father. The most important thing in my life is that God keeps talking to me. Everything I've been through, I've been through lots of stuff. I've been through some challenges. I, I've, I, I've, I've suffered. I've been through death. I've had some incredible things, not me personally. I didn't have a near-death experience. We, we, I've lost people. I've, I've, I've suffered in that way. The number one thing, the only way I survive is I stay near to my father and I ask him to keep talking to me. Because bread is a picture of the word of God. Bread is a picture of Jesus. Jesus was called the bread of life. Jesus said, if you eat my flesh, he wasn't being literal about eating his physical flesh. He was talking about the communion, the worship act of communion. Today at the end, we are going to worship with communion. Hopefully you got one of your little things. If not, we can get one for you in just a little while. But it's a picture of intimacy. God desires intimacy. And, and this, these this creation that he chose are so stubborn. Humans made like God, but not God. Made in his image, but lower than him. And oftentimes we try to act like him. We try to be our own protector. We try to be our own provider. We try to be our own source. We try to be our own uh, righteousness. We try to be our own victory. We try all these different things. Try to be our own shepherd. We try all these different ways to take God's place in our own lives. Very, very few of us live a fully surrendered life in every area. We have tendencies to grab towards something, to try to take control. Anybody here a, 
a really bad backseat or side seat driver. I'm not going to look at my spouse right now. She's, she's admitting it. Praise the Lord. Now, now healing can come. How many conversations have we had where I'm like, babe, if you say one more time how I'm supposed to drive, I will pull this car over right now and I will walk home. I'm not, <laughs> she, she, she likes to, she likes to, I'm like, do you want to drive? No, I don't want to drive. Then please let me drive. Please, I beg drive. Come on, how many times does God say, do you want, do you, I'll get out of the car right now. Do you want me to, I'll walk home right now, Joel. We, I'm, are you driving or am I driving? Malachi chapter three. I'm gonna read you a large section, six verses here, because most people have only heard one verse and they may have heard it out of context and they may have heard it uh, used for a specific purpose. I wanna show you the whole passage here. Uh, I wanna encourage you to read the book because if there was a book in the Bible where God said, uh, all of these different things are making me want, not want to talk to you for 400 years. I would want to know what those things were, and I would try to avoid those things. Because the whole goal is relationship. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Any questions? It's pretty clear. I, the Lord, do not change. Period. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What God was saying to them is, I've wanted to destroy you. You tick me off all the time. But I made a promise that I wouldn't do it. So I won't do it. He says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. So there's an indictment of persistent disobedience, persistent turning away, persistent backsliding. Return to me and I will return to you. How amazing is that? That in the midst of a letter outlining every single one of the offenses, the things that God hated. Divorce is in that letter. Marital abuse is in that letter. Things that God hates. But if you'll just return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal not, or will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, God responds. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Now I wanna take a moment and I'm gonna talk about this. This is important for all of us to understand. Uh, I'm going to make a statement. Um, I will never be shy, timid, or cowardly talking about money in the church. Ever. Because it's the most important topic. I say important in the sense of it's talked about more 
as a topic in the Bible than any other topic in the whole Bible. Over 600 references to finances and how to be a good steward of God's resources because everything belongs to him. And it's one of the most important things to you, money, protection, security, savings, retirement, college funds, wedding funds. It's important to everyone. If money is not important to you, just give all of yours to my friend, Justin. He's a good steward, he'll take good care of it. Just send it to Justin, it's not important to you, just send yours to Justin, Justin will take care of it. And his wife, Catherine says, amen, mm, hallelujah. Just, she just hit the Powerball jackpot right there. I'm not gonna ask you to admit how many of you were believing, sending out your angels in the name of Jesus, Father, this $2 that I sow into the heavenly for this Powerball, 2.2 billion, Jesus, what could we do together? <laughs> Oh, man. Money's important to all of us. Money is important to God for a very specific reason that we'll, that we'll dive into. It's not the reason that you think. It's not because God wants your money. It's not because he has any lack whatsoever. It's not because he needs your money. not because of any of those things. There's a specific reason that he's concerned with your money. Jesus, in many of his teachings, tied what you do with your money to where you will spend eternity. Did you know this? So as a pastor, if I'm afraid to talk about it, I don't love you because your eternity hangs in the balance according to Jesus' own teachings. The other reason that I'm never gonna be timid talking about it is because Jennifer and I have purposed and patterned in our lives to live extremely generous lives and we've passed the test of finances when it comes to worshiping God. So we're very confident and bold in that way because we simply know it works. We've lived it our entire lives together and we want the best for you. How are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. To be very simple, very clear, a tithe is a tenth. One-tenth, that's what it means. The tithe is a principle that started in the Garden of Eden. The tree in the center of the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the tithe. God asked them not to touch that one, that one's mine. I don't want you to mess around with the knowledge of evil. I want you to stay innocent. Innocent is bliss. I want you to have a wonderful life. Live in paradise. Here's a better tree. Give me the 10th. You get the 90%. Right next to the tree of knowledge of good and evil was the tree of life. They never ate from the tree of life. They could have eaten from the tree of life. They could have lived forever in perfect health. No sorrow, no sickness, no disease, no anything. Perfect health forever, but instead they chose social media. Oh, we wanna know everything. In the garden, before there was ever law, there was one rule, don't touch this tree. Everything else is a party. 
Second story of man, Cain and Abel. What was the conflict over? The tithe? God had given them an instruction, bring me the first fatty portion of the flock. Bring me the first portions, the tenth, the first fruit, all through your scripture, teaching about the first things, the first fruit, the tithe, the tenth, the very first tenth belongs to God. It's all his. It's a test. Ten in scripture is the number for a test. How many plagues in, e in, this, in Egypt? Do you remember how many plagues? Ten. How many commandments came down on tablets? Ten. It's the number for a test. And sadly, according to church statistics, most Christians are failing the test. How are we robbing you? In tithes and in offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food or bread in my house. It's a house of bread. It's the place that God has designed for the tithe to come because he wants the house of God, his house, to be full of bread. He wants his house to be able to meet needs all over the city. He wants his house to be a ascending place for missions and ministries and outreach and all kinds of things all around the world. He wants his house to be a place of joy. He wants his house to be a place of provision. He wants his house to be a place of, of happiness and thanksgiving and, 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 and richness. He wants his house to be a place where there's absolutely no need whatsoever because everyone is doing their share and everyone is giving their tenth and everyone is a part of it and no one has any lack whatsoever because when you pass the test of tithe God redeems the 90% and your 90% blessed and redeemed by God has no curse on it and it goes farther than your 100% under a curse bring the whole tithe the whole tithe, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The whole tithe is for the house. Why? God has a heart for his house. He wants his house to be placed. How many, how many, how many sad churches? How many sad churches? Powerless to do much good full of very stingy people. And guess what? Stingy people are miserable people. Stingy people are miserable people. They're not happy because they're living under a curse. He says, test me in this. Did you know that the Bible talks about testing God is a sin? But God literally says, test me in this. This is the one place that you can test me. Jesus actually said, thou shalt not put the Lord thy God to the test when he was talking to Lucifer. But God has given permission, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be root enough 
to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. This is a promise. Another passage says that he will rebuke the devourer on your behalf. So it's not just about blessing. It's about protecting and rebuking the enemy. It's about protecting your future business. It's about a blessing and favor being on the future of your financial house. Because God is a good father and he wants his kids blessed and protected. If we as sinful humans want our kids to live blessed and protected and prosperous lives, now we understand they gotta go through stuff and they gotta learn the hard way sometimes and they gotta, they gotta build up some muscle to do different things, but, but, but we want our kids to be blessed. And Jesus said, how much more does your heavenly father want you to have all good things? God made a guarantee around this thing called the tithe. He made a guarantee. We're actually gonna implement something new at Oaks Church. We're, we're, we're gonna start, and we can start it today. We're gonna start something called the tithe challenge. And it's a 90-day tithe challenge for people that have never tithed before, they've never tried it before. Maybe they've given a here a little bit, never, but they've never said, I'm gonna give God the full tithe a full 10%. I believe this principle so much. God believed it so much he made a guarantee about it. Test me in this and see. Watch what I'll do. Well, we're gonna start something new here. It's called the 90-day tithe challenge for people that have never had the faith, and yes, that's the word, had the faith to step into tithing fully, a full 10th of your income. And the, the, the challenge is this. If you will give God for 90 days a full tenth, a dime for every dollar, a dollar for every 10, when you think about it, a dime's not much. It only gets scary when we make more money. When you were getting your allowance from your parents and, and you got 10 bucks and Jesus got one, you weren't really upset about one going to Jesus because you had nine. When we were kids, it was easy. It gets hard when all of a sudden it's thousands. It's interesting, Jennifer and I, with our outside business and things, we, we've had years that we look at them, we're like, oh my God, I could have bought a brand new car and paid cash for it. It gets big when you're serious about it. But when you understand the principle and how it works, when you've witnessed it, you can never go back. So here's the deal, 90-day tithe challenge, anyone that takes it, if God does not show up, you give a full tenth of your income for 90 days. If God doesn't show up and at the end of those 90 days, if you're not fully convinced, if you're not fully convinced that this tithe thing is real, that God's promise is real, you send an email to accounting at oakschurch.com and you'll get a full refund of every penny. If God doesn't show up, you get a full refund. I'm not joking, sounds funny. I believe God that much. I believe God that much. I know he won't let you down. I know he'll come through for you. I've lived this my entire life. Tithe is God's heart for his house. He wants his house to be a city on the hill. 
He wants his house to be a place that represents his majesty. Have you ever read about the, the house of God that, that David paid for? So we talk, we talk about this, this, this guy, David, who was from Bethlehem. The Bible describes him as the only person that had a heart after God's own heart. The only person in scripture described as having a heart after God's own heart. David is the hero of every little boy that grows up in church. I wanna have a heart after God's heart. I wanna be a warrior and a worshiper. David came to a place after he'd had some success, 2 Samuel chapter seven. Verse one, after the king was settled in his place and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in your mind, go ahead and do it and the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan the prophet saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? And God goes on to to speak blessing over David, tell him that he was gonna give him a name, one of the greatest names on the earth, that he was gonna establish his household, establish his family, that he was gonna build him a house. And he said that he'd been with him everywhere he'd ever gone and all of his success, and he's gonna make his name great because David had a heart for God and David had a heart for the house. David was the first person in history that said, I want to build God a house. Verse 11, the Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Wow, when, when God's house is your priority, your house is God's priority. The Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. There's another passage that describes why God wouldn't let David be the one to use his hands to build the house because he was a man of blood. He'd killed thousands of people. And God wanted his house built by a man of peace. Solomon would build the house, David's son. But watch what David did. For the rest of David's days, God gave David a specific plan, a specific blueprints, specific instructions, every single thing of how the house should be built. And God gave David a mandate to raise all of the funds for it so that when his son came of age, all the money was there. David's entire life was to build the financial resources. He literally cleared the land, got rid of all the predators, got rid of all of the enemy, and prepared the site and got everything ready, had all of the wealth brought in from all over the world, the cedars from Lebanon and, and all these different things, and the gold and the incense and all the different things, and all of the resources were there. His entire life's work was to create a house for God that he would never even get to see he didn't get to see it guys we're not building what we're building just for us and our few families we're not building what we're building at Oaks Church 
Most of you don't care that we put an amazing playground in and we're totally renovating the kids. I mean, it's nice, it's cool, but you're like, we love this church anyway, no matter what. But we're building something for another generation. There are people that you may never know. There are people that you may never meet. This church will live and will be sustained and will go to a new place. And there will be thousands of people and they'll have the opportunity because someone like you had a heart for the house and built something for someone that didn't even know they existed. Does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? That's what this is all about. God doesn't want your money, he wants your heart. It's first in the Bible that says, they worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, one of the main ways to show what's important to you is if you just look at your, just look at your bank statement. You can see what's important by looking at your bank statement, by looking at the percentages. If your own home is really important, a lot of your funds go, if, if, if Amazon is really important, <laughs> right? Our, 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 our bank statements show what's important in life. What does is, what is your bank statement show about the house of God? If we're gonna have a heart for God, we gotta have a heart for his house. And he's asked us to pass a test. And my challenge for everyone here today is to take that next step, your personal next step of faith. I'm gonna show you a, a ladder. They're gonna put an image up on the screen of a ladder. And I want you to, to go on just a little bit of a journey with me. I want you to think about um, the very first rung of the ladder. Is, is, is your baby step, right? Anybody, anybody get nervous on the first step of the ladder? First couple steps aren't very nervous for me. I, anybody ever been on the top step, like holding on to something, reaching a little nervous up there, you know? But the, this, this generosity ladder, the, the first step represents an initial giver. Someone that's, you know, they're just, they're, just they're, they're kind of baby stepping onto it. These, these are all, it's all levels of faith, guys. It's all levels of faith. I'm not sure about this. I don't know how this works, but, but I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna give, I'm gonna give a little something. I'm just gonna try this thing out. First time giver, every once in a while giver. You, you have the next step is your, is your periodic giver. They're, 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 they've given a few times. They've given, you know, they're given, you know, but there's not really a rhyme or reason. It's kind of a, it's kind of maybe an emotional thing. Oh, that was a really cool cause. I'll, 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 give, I'll give to that. Or, or I mean, that was a really good service. I feel blessed. And, and it's, it's almost, it's almost kind of how you, you think about a waitress. Well, they were, I mean, it was, wasn't that good. So I'm, she's going to get an 8.34% tip today. It's, 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 it's tipping. Again, but it's a step. It's just part of the, it's just part of the steps of faith. The next one is your consistent giver. They, they, they got it set up. You may even have it set up on automatic and every time you're here and you're, you're giving consistently, but it has nothing to do with percentages. It's just, it's just an amount you're comfortable with. It's the next step. It's good. Then your next step is your intentional giver. I mean, you're getting up. You're like halfway. You're, you're moving toward the top of this ladder. 
It's, it's 10% no matter what. Non-negotiable. I'm a tither. I'm going to live in covenant. I believe what the Bible says about it. I'm going to live this blessed life. I'm going to live inside of this, this, this blessing that God has made a promise. Non-negotiable tither. Jennifer and I, the least, the least, the least we would ever give is 10%. That's the least. That's a, that's a baseline for us. We'll never dip below 10%. Why? We've lived this our whole married lives. 30, almost 20, 29 years we've been together, uh, 27 years of marriage. We, we've always, it's just non-negotiable. Your next level up is a, is a, is a surrendered giver. They're, 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 they're giving and it's, it's, they're giving and then there's offerings too. Because the, the tithe is there, and I'm, but I'm fully surrendered. Really, it's, it's all yours, God. And so, and so man, I, yeah, I can, I can do that. And, and I'm going to give a little extra here on top of the tithe and all of that. And then your last type of giver, man, this is the guy, this is the, this is the, the family that they're literally on the top rung of this ladder. And they're up on a tippy toe. And they're like, I'm doing something crazy. A tithe, I'm, 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 tithing is boring to me now. Of course I'm tithing. Offerings, yep, yeah, all the time. Missions, whatever. Just, yeah. Oh, no, no, I want to, oh, you're going to do something extravagant? Yeah, I want to be a part of that. Just different levels of faith, guys. My goal and my challenge for you is to take whatever your next step is. If, if all you've ever done is just a little, just, just try it, then, hey, take that next step and make it, make it, make it periodic, make it consistent, at least. Joel, I don't, I, I don't have the faith, man. I really don't think... And some, somebody, that might, that might be a, a trigger for me to use the word faith when it comes to giving money. But guys, is that not what it is? It's trust. You either don't trust God, that, that he is what he is and, and will do what he says he'll do, or you don't trust me or the church. Or you don't trust your own financial resources of what you have, which goes back to trusting God. It's all about faith and trust. So my goal is that you just take that next step. Maybe you move to a percentage, but you just don't have the faith for 10, but you could get to five and then keep baby stepping up from there. Just keep edging up that ladder, get a little gutsier and gutsier. Build your faith, stretch your faith more and more. Some of you, you've been, you've been on those bottom two or three steps and today's your day to say, you know what, Joel, I'm gonna do that tithe challenge thing. I'm, go, I'm gonna go for it, I'm going all in. Someone else is like, man, that's, that's great. But Joe, what projects are you working on? I'm tithing, what projects? Oh, we got a bunch of them. You're gonna hear about lots of stuff that we have in our hearts to do with our year-end offerings and the different things and what we're putting, uh, pushing toward to do great things for next year. There's lots of things you'll hear about. But my encouragement to you is that you hear the voice of God, that you seek God and you ask him what your next step is and you ask him to give you the faith and you step out into it. If you want to be one of those people and say, you know what, Joel, I'm going to do that 90-day challenge, then you could literally, you just go into the, the website and you hit the giving button and you set up your giving uh, in there and you put it toward tithe. And you, the best thing you can do is put it on reoccurring. You tip, most people know when they get paid. And you put it on reoccurring and here's my 10%. You just set it up and, you, and, and, and check on it in 90 days. See what God has done. Stop by the desk or send us an email at info at oakschurch.com and says, I'm doing the 90-day challenge. That way we can know. That way, that way we, we can know that you're, that you're st and we'll align our faith with you in that. That's it. But whatever it is, just ask the Lord to show you. Take that next step. Have a heart for the house, God's house, because God is gonna use this church, Oaks Church. He's gonna use this church to save thousands and thousands of people.
period. And that's your reward. That's your reward in heaven. We're going to go back into worship for just a minute, and I'm going to come back up, and we're going to receive communion together. I just want you to take a moment and just allow the Lord to speak to you as we worship. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your children. I thank you for your love for them. I thank you for the goodness, the goodness of God that draws us to repentance. Father, it's possible that some of us have been in a place of a little bit of a faith crisis when it comes to finances. I'm feeling like I can't afford to do this or, or I'll do it whenever. The, and, and there's excuses that are attached to it. I don't know what they do with, with the money. Father, would you right now just work on people's hearts, bring them into a place of repentance, childlike faith and trust, knowing that as they give, Father, they give to you, that, that you have declared that you desire their heart, you want intimacy with them, you want their house to be a house of bread, a place of happiness and fulfillment and joy. In the same way that you promised David, since you want to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. Father, bring us to a place of radical trust in you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, Thanks for listening and have a great week.